You're listening to an encore presentation of We the People. You can hear this show live every Friday night from 7 until 8 p.m. Your source for locally how you can get involved to make a difference. Tune in. Thanks for listening. Get out there and make a difference. It's Texas, Hayes County, and the rest of the world. Yes, it is the 1st of March in uh, 2024. This is Rob Rourke, your host with you here tonight in the studio. I've got back here and back in the saddle again, Mr. Griffin Spell. Good to be here, Rob. And uh, we're going to be talking what we always talk about, local politics, but how you can make a difference here in the area, wherever you may be, whether you're here in San Marcos, whether you're somewhere else in Hayes County, or whether you are out there, wherever you may be listening, it's all about local. It's how you can make a difference. We're going to be talking about that. We'll be talking about the elections tonight. We're going to be talking about what goes on at planning and zoning, which is why Griffin is back here as a subject material expert on that tonight for us. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And we're also going to be talking about Oh, say it ain't so. I watched them going down the the, uh, road today, not under their own power, but the downtown free caps were on heading out of town. So, yeah, well, what are we going to do? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, as always, this is Political Commentary Show. The views expressed on this show are those of the hosts, the guests, not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA, the governing board. We're going to be right back with you. with you here on the second on the first of march and uh, we got a lot of great things going on this weekend but you know what is still going on early voting i got to go by and it was a very different scene than we're used to i mean i i had some pictures back from uh eight years ago when i was running for uh in the republican primary and i was out there at the justice center and i had someone give me a frantic call last night and called up here to the station and she said you know i was over at the justice center and i don't know why people need to know about this but you can't do early voting at the justice center i went to the justice center to vote early (laughs) early i didn't know about it yeah and i and i i get that it makes sense 
for them to use a facility, to use a larger facility. Like, I'm not unhappy about them relocating it. And it's not like they relocated that far. It's, right. it's right around the corner, basically. But it was not very well communicated. No, I mean, I, I knew about it, and I've talked a little bit about it yeah. here on the on the air. But no, it, it's obviously that it, it obvious that it wasn't. And this is some of the follow-ups, some things that, you know, I'm having more, now that we are here in this position with the city and with the county, yeah, it's I'm, I'm going back and getting a lot more feedback that, listen, folks, this is what people are wanting to hear from, about. When we move the election office, from Broadway to the Justice Center in the first place. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of negative feedback uh, from that to the point where they reopened an office in that location mm-hmm. at the health department location now. It's still it's still uh, election day location well, even now. what happens is that we end up getting people, okay, we get used to things. As you get older, we get comfortable with the way things are. We don't want to change them. Well, you know, part of it is it's routines, and we like our routines. It makes it, uh, it's how we survive to be, you know, upper ages. But that missing that routine for a lot of people yeah. it's it, you know and and, and, and so much of the push in the past several years has been to make voting easier to make it simpler to make it you know as as painless and as effort free as possible right. you know it's understood that if you move a location you make someone go somewhere else a certain percentage of them will just throw their hands and say whatever i'm going home well and that's what this woman yes uh, last night uh, was concerned about so that's why i wanted to kind of open that up with you tonight uh because it is important for everyone to know that it has moved so it is now where dick's car museum yeah. used to be for those of you that have been around for a few years but it is there on the corner of stagecoach and hunter road which is just about one block up from wonder world okay right. so uh, if you're going out towards wimberley you hang a left and immediately to get in your right lane and it is right there okay? and my understanding is that is now the permanent the elections office Election that office. is right the county bought that property Right. And uh, I know uh, David Chu uh, had uh, talked to a couple different people, and I, I want to try to get him on, but he was quite vocal about that it was not a good deal for us to have done as a county. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll leave mean, that part one of the Part of the discussion with the Justice Center was to make it so that we could have all the government county offices in one building. Right. And now we're kind of going away from that. Security. That's the big thing was, you know, trying to get people in there without having it secured through the front door. It was making right it, because it was, you can't, you know, you can't force somebody to go for a metal detector to vote. That's, right. That would I can't imagine a court in the country would uphold that. Yeah. And so you had to have the, uh, the entrance on the Se- side, basically. Separate but equal. You know, it was kind of the way this was, and it, it made it hard. You're right. You had to go in through the side, and then you had to have someone there making sure that they didn't go from there right. into the main building. Right. You but pretty, it, it, in my recollection, you pretty much always had an officer stationed there just to make sure you didn't use that entrance as a way to get around the metal yeah. detectors. And, uh, so and the metal detectors, I just explained, are there because of uh, there are courts in that location um, in, the, in the second and third stories of that building. So that was that was the argument for those metal detectors being there. The same thing it, it yeah. caused for when you go to pay your taxes now, where you yeah. did not in the past, you would not have to go through the metal detectors. Yeah. Okay, and so that was, you know, it, and that was something we we did about ten years ago. Uh, yeah, a little bit over ten years ago that the uh, they they completed the uh, building. Um, I don't know whether we got the water fixed there or not by now, but uh, last time I was there, I think that we're actually drinking from the water fountains again. I don't know that we ever changed anything. I think it just kind of 
went away. Mm. But uh, that was the problem where we had the pipes yeah. had uh, yeah. lead in them. But uh, let's not go there tonight. Um, but it was all these folks that are, you know, you see this line as the sun is setting, and I'm looking back up over uh, going down stagecoach towards uh, the, uh, the school over there. And you've got all these signs out, and you've got all these people, and that's the other thing: is it kind of con- it consolidates those signs in one place. So now everybody had yeah. to learn new places to put their signs. And you've got the folks out there sitting there waving the signs. So why why we talk about this? Why is it important to have people at out there waving signs? And right now, folks are getting off work on Friday. This is one of the busier times of the yeah, early the, voting. The- the trend line generally be, is, and I voted last week, um, and when I voted at that location, it was pretty much, there There were open machines when I walked in. Right. So it's basically as long as, as fast as they could process something, I could go and vote. And so I was in and out of there pretty quickly. Um, but the trends are basically the last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of early voting, which is, we're now on Friday, and it probably, it should have wrapped up or be wrapping up by now. At the very least, there aren't... They shouldn't be, I believe, ex- allowing anyone else to enter the line at this point. Right. Um, but the trend is always those last three days are always – it's like a hockey stick yeah. in terms of the trend lines. Well, and that was kind of it is that I've been so used to seeing that parking lot empty over there and to yeah. drive by as it's I was had coming had down Hunter Road. Packed people. Yeah, it was packed. And But here are the people out there sitting there waving the signs. Now, why, why, do they, why do we care about signs? Why do we care about waving the signs? I've always, you know, I've always felt that for a lot of people, you know, there's like if you're if you're committed, you've made up your mind, you know, you're going to vote for the sign waving is not going to impact your vote. But for a lot of people that, you know, the average person is not that heavily engaged in who's running for which office and and who are the candidates unless they've got a personal connection, like a neighbor running, for example, or or something like that. A lot of people want to know who are the big people, who's who's got the campaign, who's got the mechanism, who's got you know, who has people supporting them. If you if you're a if you don't know anything about a race, but you have when you show up the polls, you've got five people waving signs for John Smith. You might walk in there thinking, wow, John Smith's got all these support from the neighbors, and those people looked like me, and you know they seem like they seem like good people, and they might vote for them. Sure. You know, there, there is a general correlation. Most and people so, yeah. do not go in knowing, and they, they make their decision last minute. I, at least in one race, I was, you know, I, and I voted in the Democratic primary this year. Yeah. Um, at least in one race, I was thinking about the race as I walked into the polls. So, you know, well, how do I find out? Well, folks, the League of Women Voters, you can go to uh, Vote411. They do have information. Also, I was at the library today, and they had plenty. Uh, I've got those uh, right here out of my reach. I'm going to grab them the next break. Uh, but, uh, the you know, you've got for the Republican and Democratic primaries who, you know, and for right. the county, who are the people that are running? And so they tried to get, uh, you know, all the information out to everyone as best they can. And you know, remember again, as we've been talking about on the shows, that you cannot vote in both the Democratic and the Republican primaries, or you cannot go and uh, be at a Libertarian convention and vote in the yeah. Republican or Democratic you, primaries. You, you, you pick one, and that's your one. That's, and if we have a run, which we probably will have in a Democratic primary, um, you cannot have voted in the Republican primary and vote for a Democratic runoff. Exactly. 
exactly they have to be able to verify um from what i've seen on the ballots and i pulled out the sample ballots uh before i came in there are very few except for the top level where you know president uh, a couple people running it said cruz for senate um there are not that many contested Republican primary races oh, no. in Hayes County this We've year. Been, oh, this in Hayes County? No, this is. It and is and one of the ones that one of the ones that has two candidates. I know one of them has officially dropped out and said they're not campaigning anymore. Yeah, uh, and so it's 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 even less than it looks like on the ballots. Well, what's interesting to me is this total reversal from when you and I got into politics back in 2008 here in the county, and then in 2010, 2012, we had in the Republican Party we had contested races yeah. at the level of precinct chair, and there was this article up in um, the uh, uh, one of the uh, newspapers up in Austin, and they were saying, "Hey, look at Hayes County." Remember, you know, and there's something going on down here, folks. We've gone from having all the contested races being in the Republican primary and Democratic primary being relatively straightforward in, you know, one candidate, one race to being the exact opposite, basically, right now. That's it. That's why I'm kind of, it's interesting to me. I'm actually a little surprised given the, you know, how competitive some of the races are, that there is not a competitive uh, county chairman race in the Democratic primary. Well, considering considering that there was two years ago. Right. And considering that the Republicans got their, you know, what's whooped two years yeah. ago, that I'm surprised that there is very I'll, little. I'll put an asterisk on that and point out that uh, the incumbent Republican County Chairman Bob Parks is not seeking re-election. Right. And so that one is a, um, you know, it's not a contested race. Uh, the Republican candidate is not opposed, but it is not the same person that was running the party two years ago. Right. And, uh, you know, that those are the times when, you know, we had contested races yeah. about what yeah. direction we were going as a party. Yeah. Now, there, there, are, there, are, there are places in the Republican primary where it's not the incumbents, but there's only one, alter- there's only one person running. Um, Hippolito, for example, for sheriff. Uh, the incumbent is Gary Cutler. He's not running for re-election. Right. He's endorsed Hippolito, and Hippolito is unopposed in the Republican primary. Right. And, and we've got a couple of those here. And then I think there are... Um, a couple of the races uh, that are outside the county but are, are going through the area here for um, – we do have a couple contested in the uh, – oh, SD21 and uh, – Right. Well, the uh, the uh, Senate primary uh, for which Democrat will presumably take on Ted Cruz in November is pretty heavily contested. That example. one's – yeah, that one's looking And that one probably will go to a runoff because there's, I think – 10 candidates, although, right. although the reality is there are two that I think are, and I can give you the exact names if you give me a second, uh, but most of the data I'm seeing is telling me that it probably will be a runoff uh, in May yeah. between uh, Roland Gutierrez and Colin Alred, uh, but there are uh, seven other candidates, I believe, in that race. And Alred, they're saying, has got a, uh, is polling, you know, when they're doing Alred and uh, Cruz right now, I mean, this is so dang early, uh, they are seeing uh, that uh, he's got a better shot, you know, at it. Uh, it's a, it's a very interesting, sorry, I'm trying to adjust my chair here. No, that's all right. It's a very interesting dynamic that the Democratic Party has because you've got two options, basically. You know, Democrats have not had a statewide elected official in, in Texas into in, in the 90s. Your options are basically go for a moderate Democrat who can maybe pull in some Republican or you know independent voters you know from the middle that may not like Cruz. That's kind of the approach that Allred is going. Gutierrez is running very much as a progressive candidate to try and motivate the base, to try and get people who are just demoralized and demotivated and get them to go out and vote. <laughs> And so it's very much a different approach, two different approaches. 
uh, that each campaign is taking. Um, Bet I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example though. Beto was kind of a Beto O'Rourke was pretty good at doing sort of both. Right. Really motivating. And when he was people. running against Ted Cruz, right. which which well, was, was the last time Ted Cruz was was supposed to. Know. And that was probably the closest race that we've had at a statewide 3%, level. Yeah. Very competitive, um, and so that one was one where it was very much a. He was able to kind of get people, a lot of people that weren't that you know were demotivated or just you know, weren't really engaged to be active. But was also kind of pulling some from the middle as well. Kind of did, kind of was able to split the difference to do both. Um, but was in, but also ended up falling short. And so there's kind of a, a question in their Democratic Party of which direction they want to go in. Keep in mind Gutierrez is Hispanic, Allred is African American. That's also a, a relevant issue here in that race. Yeah. Well, and, and it goes back to, and I'm going to wrap this up here in just a minute. We're going to take a station break. But it goes back to that last minute. What and, and I, I talked to a young man about this out at a polling location one time. I said, and I want you to see something. I said, you see each one of those signs right there? They cost about five ten dollars. Okay, you people go out and they invest. Why do they invest? And they put all these signs out. He's like, yeah, you know, you, you see these all all over. I said because people come up so much of the time, they look at that sign, and that's what then it is. I mean, they've done studies on this. Yeah that that is a determining factor for people going into a polling location is that last person that they see, that last name that they see. And it's, it's noteworthy. In the presidential race, it doesn't matter. Sign, like People are not deciding whether to vote mm-hmm. for Biden or Trump based on the yard sign they see in someone's yard, generally speaking. But you go down the ballot, the further down the ballot you right. go, the more of an Who impact it's going to have. Who is this judge for third court of yeah. criminal appeals? I've got no, well, they've got a Hispanic name. It's a female. It's a male. You know, and I'm sorry, that's how these things go. Well, the other thing, too, is that it's where you're at on that ballot. If you've got yeah. a three-person race we, and you are number one on that ballot, you have a 3 to 5% advantage over everybody we else. We had a candidate for mayor uh, not that many years ago that— as far as I can tell, did not actively campaign, did not have signs, did not was not at the polls talking to voters, but was first on the ballot and got eight nine percent of the vote. Yeah, on I mean, just on you know, and I'm not saying that they weren't wouldn't have been a good mayor. They didn't win. I, I'm not saying they wouldn't have been a good mayor, but, but I don't. Still, I didn't see any other campaign activity other than them being first. Right. And, and that does make a difference. So we're going to take a quick station ID break, and uh, Cooper's going to pop in here in a second. I got Griffin Spell with me. We're going to just, we're going back to our old days of just, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, these round tables. But we're going to come back. We're going to be talking about planning and zoning, we're going to be talking about Lindsay Hill and all sorts of stuff that happened this week and why the planning and zoning is important. Stay tuned. You're listening to KZSM.org. This is Rob Rourke, your host of We the People, your show that we do every Friday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. We'll be right back with you, folks. What's in the daily news? I'll tell you what's in the daily news. Story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the daily news. Read the latest news about KZSM.org, your true community radio station, every Sunday in the San Marcos Daily Record. Look for our call letters in the headline of our exclusive column. The San Marcos Daily Record has been serving our community with news, features, sports, and opinion for over 100 years. Pick up your copy at your nearest grocery or convenience store. To subscribe to the print or electronic editions, go to www.sanmarcosrecord.com or call 
The Rotary Club of San Marcos hosts a casino night fundraiser on Friday, March 1st at 7 p.m. The event will be held at the Commemorative Air Force Museum at the San Marcos Airport. The museum houses a collection of World War II aircraft that are still airworthy. Tickets are $50 each, and 75% of profits will be donated to CASA of Central Texas. Remaining funds will benefit other local charities. Email smtxrotary at gmail.com for more information about tickets. That is smtxrotary at gmail.com. Rotary Casino Night is a great opportunity to have fun, raise money for local charities, and enjoy a fascinating historical facility. See you there. And that is tomorrow, folks. Go check that out if you have not signed up already. Yeah, you can just go and show up. And they would like for you to sign up uh, tonight so they at least have a record of you. And uh, there's a couple different spots around town. And this is something I've been involved with this year. I'm not going to be the last year, two years. I'm just not able to get out there and truck like I used to. You know, and uh, it's just that's what happens as you get older and health and everything. I'll work myself back up to it. I mean, that is a goal, I think, in the next few years is I'm going to get up back out there and lead a cleanup team again that was that, that I, I really enjoyed doing that every and it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow it always is yeah. you know and even if not i don't care whatever the weather is when you're out cleaning up at the river and you're just getting out there in the muck and you're pulling things out and you just you it's just for a saturday morning and it's just a good start Get your kids out there with you. Get folks and go uh, out there and support the river cleanup. Hey, a couple other things going on this weekend. Uh, just, uh, you know, come on down to the farmer's market tomorrow morning. Farmer's market's getting packed right now. They are. They do not have uh, any more room. Kevin is basically putting people on a waiting list right now. He's even and out between uh, how many people can have fresh produce and how many vendors and all sorts of things down there. And then, uh, uh, then keep your eye. I think I'm not sure what else is going on in the square. It may be an art down there in the square. I don't remember now. But uh, hey, come on down. Check out uh, Nikki next door with the bubbles. And uh, we've got the toy store. We've got, um, come on down to Alchemy Records. Just there's music. There's all sorts of things happening down here. So come on down. And I did not get a chance to get out the downtown awards. And mm. I don't know why. Somebody didn't come and give me a personal invitation. I'll leave that one on the table. But uh, I, I missed. Hey, if you don't get it on the Wiz's schedule, how am I supposed to know, folks? So uh, we'll let us know. And then upcoming events here. I do have the list here for everybody. we got David Newbold is going to be at Duets on Wednesday, March 13th with Sarah Burton. That's a free show. Uh, that is one that we are... Um, sponsoring uh, KCSM. And then we're going to have the party at the porch on Friday, March 15th uh, from 6.30 until 12. David Newbold's going to be headlining that. Emma Zek, a whole bunch of artists. Kissing Alley with JJB and Friends is Thursday, March 21st. That is a free show as well. So, Oh, and the uh, party at the porch is a $10 suggested donation. Something else coming up uh, this next week, okay, on... Uh, that's going to be one week away on March 9th uh, next week. Uh, next Saturday is where I was trying to head to that. First United Methodist Church, uh, San Marcos, Texas Fellowship Hall, 129 West Hutchinson, right across the street from us here. And they are going to be having pancakes, 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 and sausage. 
and uh, the Kiwanis uh, get everybody together for this once a year. It's really neat. Family-friendly atmosphere, music, entertainment. Ticket price is free, but it's a suggested donation. And all of this goes back into the San Marcos community with focus on helping kids. Come hungry and leave happy. And the last thing I'm going to say here, white label analog uh, with Mass Minor and Soho Holiday, $5 tomorrow night at the porch. And they are going to be at the April Kissing Alley uh, from 7 to 9, April 18th, white label analog. So lots of great stuff there. And uh, Friday Night with Kara, that's one of her favorites. They've been in here in the studio a couple of times. So. Let's, now that I've gone through all of this, let's get on back into talking about a few things. So did you want to talk about candidates? Was that yeah. something you wanted to hit first? Oh, I just want to highlight all the stuff that's competitive in yeah. the Democratic primary. Um, you have probably the probably the highest profile race is uh, uh, State Representative District 45. So last session, uh, Hayes County was split in two. The western section um, is in 73 along with um, – uh, I'm blanking on the name. The county due south of us. Uh, Comal County, I believe. Part of Comal County. Yeah, it's and, it, basically down Canyon Lake in New Braunfels. Right. It's up in the... Uh, and so the, Carrie Isaac is the incumbent of that race. She's unopposed in the Republican primary. And there is a Democratic challenger who is also uncontested in that primary. Okay. But in, in 45, which is the eastern part of Hayes County, so we're talking San Marcos, Kyle, and Buda, you have a competitive race between Chevo Pastrano and and the incumbent Aaron Zwiener. which is kind of interesting because Aaron, you know, took this away, you know, from, uh, from the Republicans basically as district, right. and was, then this uh, was a seat that was previously held uh, by Jason Isaac, right? Uh, and uh, the Republican candidate in 2018, uh, Ken Strange, lost to Zwiener. Pretty pretty handily. Uh, th- but this yeah. is the first time yeah. that Zwiener, at, since that election, has had has a seriously contested uh, Democratic uh, primary opponent. Yeah. And, well, and it's been reconfigured, too, right. for... And, right, uh, it is much uh, bluer, for lack of a better term, yeah. than, than it used to be. It's gerrymandered, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it, but you could... the We talk about purple haze, yeah. but the reality is uh, the western part of Hayes County, Wimberley and Dripping Springs, tends to be a lot redder than the eastern part, San Marcos, Calambuta, which tend to be bluer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so, changing as we, and the population is changing as we're having right. more people come in. The, the, the county population exploding has kind of changed the dynamic in a lot of ways. So, the what are some all, of the other races here? Uh, going down, uh, you have a uh, contested race for District Judge 483rd uh, Judicial District. I believe you had uh, at least one of the candidates in that race. Right. Uh, Sarah Brandon mm-hmm. and Alicia Key are competing. Um, Joseph Aragon is also in that race, although I haven't seen much campaigning from him. No, it's been mostly uh, between uh, Brandon and Key on that one. And so, so that one is that, and the incumbent there is uh, Tanner Nieder, Nieder, uh I'm blanking on his name. I know it's a Republican incumbent in that seat, and he's unopposed in his primary. And that was a new seat. That was a, and right. we talked about that when right. that was a, uh, that's Sarah a very, Brandon was here uh, right. talking. And this was, he is, you know, there has not been an election for this spot. This was an appointee on a new right. one the, for the county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the general rule being the governor makes mm-hmm. appointments. Yes. And so the governor appointed uh, uh, Judge Tanner. Uh, and so, but it is, you know, it's an election, it's an elected seat. And this is sort of the first real election for that seat. And so it's going to be a, you know, it, you know, that one's going to be probably, probably really competitive and, uh, you know, uh, general election in November. Uh, 
I am sorry. I actually. That's I, all right. So, you know, a couple of the other ones, though, in the Democratic yeah. side are uh, definitely is for the uh, county sheriff. Yes. And that is a big one because that's I'm seeing a lot of dirt being thrown around. Yes. Okay. That, that one is getting kind of dirty. Yeah. Uh, so what happened in that situation is the incumbent sheriff is, is Republican Gary Cutler. He's not seeking a reelection. So for the Democratic Party, the perception is this is going to be our this is our best chance to bring mm-hmm. in you know to have a Democratic sheriff in Hayes County, right. which we have not had in twelve years now. Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been it's been many years, and, and the Democratic uh, uh, sheriff then I think is now actually a Republican. Yeah. So it's it's definitely it's there's definitely a perception that uh, you know Hayes this, if if this is going to, if there, Hayes County is going to have a you know an actual died in the wool Democratic sheriff this is going to be the best election for that. Uh, but it is well, competitive. And there's is, a lot more push coming in right now within the Democratic Party with the progressive yeah, movement to you really focus Mono on law Omega, enforcement you've and got, judges. You know, a lot of these yeah. people that are trying to get folks, uh, you know, more in tune with what's going on with regards to, um, you know, incarceration, the time that takes to get to folks, you know, in the jail overcrowding, all of these issues. Yeah, that there's are, definitely are been a lot f- much stronger push. Um, among particularly younger Democrats, my generation and younger, uh, for progressive, you know, very, you know, fo- but focusing generally on district attorney. You had a very contested district attorney race two years ago. Um, judges, sheriffs, constables, things of that nature. Right. Um, and, and so you have in that race, you have Alex Villalobos, mm-hmm. uh, who was the Democratic candidate for sheriff four years ago and lost. Um, and then also you have um, Daniel Law, mm-hmm. former Caldwell County Sheriff for about 20 years. Has been, had, was Well, Sheriff in Caldwell County when I moved here. Yeah. Um, but moved to Hayes County a few years ago, although and, apparently that is disputed now. Well, he, yes, he's got a location here, but he's also got a homestead that he still has in Caldwell yeah. that his wife is at. And I don't know whether, you know, who knows what all the situations I, are. I point out but he is every— now, yeah. What's interesting to me, though, is that he is the deputy constable for— um, Precinct uh, one for precinct one with David Peterson. Right. Okay, and that there was and David Peterson had a hard race. There was a very vicious race yes. that he was in for his reelection last time around four years ago, and he's yeah. up on the ballot again this time, um, and has and has an opponent, uh, Lorenzo Gonzalez. Yeah, and, and so, so that one is very you know that's another one that races that is, uh, you know, very much going to be you know they're, you know contested, right. and 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 Gonzalez I mentioned is particularly running unambiguously as a progressive candidate for sheriff. And so I think this is what you're seeing is this break between the progressives and the older Democrats and versus the Republican Party. I don't know where, I don't know. It's just in shambles right now. I think in a lot of ways to be dang honest. The Republican Party, from my perspective, is kind of... Here in Hayes County, Yeah, in in particular, uh, but just in general, has sort of normalized between... You're either with Trump or you're not. You're yeah. not with the party anymore, and that's exactly where it's at. And, uh, and you're seeing and you're seeing a lot of that in sort of the, the dynamics with the national race between uh, Trump and uh, and uh, and you know I I don't want to get into that here on this show. We yeah. we've talked about that, but it is going to be a that's you know it's already it, it, but it, it trickles down, down to a lot of the local politics. It is about who Trump is yeah. supporting and you, who he's you, not. If who you he's go back and, and you look at sort of the shift in terms of local politics towards a more progressive democratic party 
a lot of that starts with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. No, and, and so, is, you know, the national trends trickle down and, and affect local politics. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how we got involved with Ron Paul back in 2008. Yeah. You know, it's you were coming out of college and, you know, I coming was into just college. coming into college and I'm, you know, just getting back involved. And, you know, we all had different stories and how we, we come to these things. So uh, I want to kind of give, give us a couple more minutes. We're going to take I'll take a quick station break. I don't want to get too deep into things here, but uh, this is KCSM LPFM 104.1 San Marcos, Texas. This is We the People. This is your connection every uh, Friday night from 7 until 8 o'clock. This is how we tell you how you can get involved locally to make a difference. And there's times when Griffin and I will come together and talk on politics when we got the elections <laughs> and we're going to go deeper into it than you ever wanted to go. Oh, but yeah. it's this is community radio this is what we're here for is to tell you about the local races where you're not going to get that information anywhere else so griffin who are the other one or two other ones i don't want to take too much time because i want to swing back and talk on uh, uh, you have a contested uh so very interesting what happened in precinct commissioner precinct one um you had uh, Alyssa ramirez file at the last minute yes um you had some the perception that she was being fronted by judge becerra you have uh, people other saying that's not really true it's disputed but that's sort of the allegation that was brought up that she was brought up as a front uh by uh, judge becerra sort of to go after another commissioner whether or not that's true or not at the end of the day uh i have not seen anything that indicates that that seat is going to be competitive i would assume that commissioner angles will win re-election by a fairly wide margin, right? But the just fact because, that just but, the fact the fact that at the last minute somebody jumped in, yeah, um, you know, it's kind of any anybody you can choose to run, you know, for for whatever reason. Uh, but it's definitely sort of a, you know, the perceptions always kind of tend to matter a little more than reality. Yeah, incumbents are going to work. I mean, I I got my I got my keister shellacked when I ran against an incumbent, yeah. so I know how that can be. And you know, without spending very much yeah, money, by, and you by and large. There, for for all the discussion, all the all the you know that we might have and people might have in the public, generally speaking, it's exceptional for incumbents to lose when they actually yes. compete for a race. You know, it was a big deal when Jeff Wentworth, for example, lost in the Senate race, but that was partially because he stopped campaigning for six months. Yeah, um, it was a big deal um, when John Tamites, for example, was mayor and he lost to Jane Houston. You know, there it you know it's it's, it's it was a big deal when yeah. Maxwell Baker. Lost to Matthew Mendoza two years ago. Yeah, and so you know it's it's ex, it's the exception, not the rule, for incumbents to lose re-election. And even especially in primaries, but that's the only time yeah. that you're going to get an incumbent out is in the primary. Uh, the example the example that I would give for something like there would be uh, Jeff Barton and Liz Sumter oh, going yeah. back years ago, uh, but that led in part to Barton losing to a Republican in the, in the general election in November. And this had to do with the uh, Democratic primary when right. they were running uh, when uh, for county uh, judge for county judge, and uh, it, and it caused a, and uh, other politics. We, yeah. we won't get into that right now. But so, the the consequence of that primary tied into a uh, election where the Democratic candidates did not have the full party behind them, 
and ended up losing. So, yeah. you know, they're, a, a very ugly primary can have consequences on, on November election. So, folks, go down there, get your League of Women Voters Guide. They've got those at the library. I've got those here at the station. Come mm-hmm. on by. Tomorrow is the last day of early voting, and then uh, voting is going to be on Election Day. You can vote in any location in Hayes County, uh, and you must be registered in Hayes County. Uh, it's not that hard to go and vote, folks. And if you have lost your license, don't worry. You can. There are ways to do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll nitpick. If you register in another county, you can vote what's called a limited ballot, where it's a you vote for president, right? You know, in you know, Texas, Senate. Yeah. you can vote for anything that you you vote for anything statewide. Yes. Um, if you absolutely have to, and you can't make it back to your no, home. You are correct. Origin. You are correct. So, and so we do have every every year we have at least some limited ballots and provisional ballots cast. Okay, so um, I want to I'm going to swing real quick. Um, I want to come back to the local stuff here, sure. Griffin. But I'm going to real quick. I was driving uh, back down uh, from the library today, and uh, I saw here's a truck. And here's this big long trailer, and on the back is one of those electric cabs going down the road, heading out of town. And I thought, yep, it is. Uh, the last date was on the 28th, and so here we are on the 1st of March, and we are not going to have free electric cab service downtown. What's that mean for us? Is that going to affect anything? Well, it was $500,000 experiment that we had, um, half a million dollars uh, to see. You know, where do people go? What do they do? And for the most part, um, it was not not 100%, but it was heavily used by students, and it was heavily used to go back and forth between apartment complexes on one end of the downtown area up to some of it was for shopping at Target, but uh, on up to the university. And that tended to be what that was for. And everyone at the last minute, as we always do, everybody, oh, no, we got to save this. Why? We can't do this. Well, folks, that was half a million dollars. And that was part of COVID. And it had to be used in a certain area. And it had all of these restrictions. And they were able to figure out, somebody figured out how to get part of that grant from all this COVID money that was passed uh, for public transport. Yeah. It's... If if it was used as as and, and we'll I assume get the statistics of how how it was used and who it was used by, um, but this is the sort of thing that the university should be partnering with us on, because if you know if their students are using it, it gets used to get people to and from campus, um, you know. But if the university doesn't want to partner with us on that, then that's on them. Yeah, but it was going around to private. Uh, you know, I would say the partnership needs to be from these folks that have. Uh, this is your business down here. You've got an apartment, and this is an uh, amenity for your people, yeah. right? That are staying here, right? I, I would think that that should be, you know, somehow or another that we we work some kind of deals out there, uh, especially if we're giving you tax breaks. No, you yeah. know, I, that's and so this kind of goes into the next question: is planning and zoning this week? We had come up uh, before a uh, uh, Lindsay. Uh, North Lindsay Street Apartments. And those were, it was basically taking a whole bunch of blocks right on the south side of the campus. where where it is, Mm -hmm. it's uh, basically it's two blocks more or less uh, going from the intersection of Comanche and Lindsay Street where you have Lindsay Oaks Apartments. Small, two-story complex, kind of older, you know. Um, From there, going 
the proposal originally was going all the way across North Street, all the way almost to uh, Mary Street. Right. Um, and so, so if you go from the radio station, go from downtown, go down Hutchinson, it yeah. is, it's, uh, there's uh, 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 Cafe on the Go, uh, Joe on the Go. Up the road. Right. And it's just up the road from Joe yeah. on the Go right there. Yeah. It's, it's basically between campus and uh, the point. Okay. And so, and and kind of in that general area of town. So this is a private developer right. is coming forward and wanting to do this development. And this, but this has been, been this has been in the works um, for I'm going to say six months plus. Yeah. No in more terms than of public, that. in terms of public discussion and dialogue, six months. Yes. Of course, they've probably been working on it on their end longer than that. Right. But, but, so uh, we've talked about this. We've had some people come in here uh, to the uh, radio show. And we've talked about this here. But so what came up before planning and zoning? So it was it, it was four different things, basically, as part of this project. Um, the first is so our definition, our um, uh, a preferred scenario map. Basically, not so much zoning, but more of a, what do we as a city want an area to be like, generally speaking? Right. And this is for the downtown area, right? Well, the this definition is, is the, defi- the, the border of downtown is North Street uh-huh. in that section of town. Okay. And they wanted to go across and, and have it. They basically wanted to extend that border around their property. Okay. Um, and so the commission discussed that, um, and that was denied. The commission recommended a denial to city council for that section. So we were not expanding the downtown area, and this is going in because this is residential. This is more historical residential, it's, right? It's, it's a combination of a couple of factors, partly because when we did a historic research survey when I was on historic preservation, yeah. um, we surveyed that area, mm-hmm. and we found that some of those properties are historically significant and would contribute to an historic district. Okay. But part of it was also... Once you start moving the borders of downtown to accommodate personal projects, it sets a bad precedent, and you start to move the down definition downtown further and further west, and then you start encroaching the neighborhoods. And so it was sort of a, you know, where where do you where do we draw the line? Well, the answer is we already did draw the line. We drew it, you know, you know, years ago. So we've got this area that. And I should so clarify. What I the- should clarify something. I can't speak for anyone else in the commission. Right. I can't. I can't tell you how why other people voted. Okay, let, let, let's go on back. We're going to talk. There was a few changes on the commission, but Griffin is an appointed representative on the commission, uh, and we have how many people are on the Planning and Zoning Commission? Nine. Nine. Okay, and so he's one of nine members on that commission. He was appointed uh, by city council. He went through and applied. He's been on uh, passed on the Historical Preservation Commission, and so. This is what he's talking about are things that were voted on. I just we're, we're asking for kind of a clarification for you to kind of go through yeah. because you'll hear about this. And so what yeah. is it that they were actually voting? So, you know, one of the things was to try to move that boundary said, no, we're not going to move that boundary. It is going to remain that. Now, what that means is that limited them on how they could build up on that property. Correct. Right. So they had as the second part of it. Uh, that was the first vote we took. And okay. by the way, these were all public hearings. We took uh, – the developers had a chance to speak. They brought in, I think, four or five people to speak on their project. They ever, ever got three minutes. Um, members of the community, I think a member of the Neighborhood Commission come in and spoke. And so we had public hearings on four different items. And so that was part of the reason we were meeting until 11 o'clock, after 11 right. o'clock until we adjourned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a very long and, and hard meeting just because of you know trying to get all the feedback and trying to – compartmentalize the discussion of the four different topics 
Um, and so the second part they think they asked for is some of the air. So we have, we have, uh, a zoning category called multifamily MF that is depreciated. We used to use it. We no longer use it. It's, it's kind of, it's legal, but we don't recommend it and we don't let people ask for it anymore. Okay. Um, and so some of the property was zoned. So MF for folks, yes. this means apartments. Yeah. Okay. Multifamily. Multifamily. All right. And, and, and uh, MF 24 um, is, was, was at, a, at the time pretty much our highest density. It means that you can have 24 apartments within per a, acre. Per acre. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it was at the time it was pretty much our highest density housing. And so, but some of the property is the newer CD5D, which the D means downtown. Basically, basically they wanted it, they wanted to change the categories in some sort of things they're allowed to do. The main difference um, had to do with height. Okay. And just, you know, all of these things are set yeah. by the comprehensive plan, folks. Okay. This is your plans dictate yeah. this. Then yeah. you go in and you fill out those plans. We, we had a section got- of people in the audience that were younger from, from campus that are students and they were confused. And I said, don't worry about it. We were kind of confused too. This gets really technical and really kind of nuance we have you know amanda hernandez who's our planning director you know we have legal counsel we have we have people that are paid to help us figure this stuff out okay that's for another show okay um so but we we, we've got four things i I gotta keep that moving so we got four things so 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 they wanted a zoning change to basically make it all that high density downtown zoning we denied it for the western part because we had already said we were not going to move downtown. We're not going to move the downtown line any further. But we approved it for the other part to basically be like, look, you can at least have all your property be the same. It can all be consistent. And that was right. kind of our that was kind of my feedback was, we can at least make it easier for them to have it all be consistent and not have to have how, how much of a headache is it to have two different zoning codes for two different parts of your property? How hard is it for, for staff to enforce it properly? If you have to have two different codes that you have to follow, that one of which is, you know, forty years old now or whatever, and one of which is seven years old, you know how you know how you know, and so we, we simplified things a little bit for them, uh, for that. That was the second vote. The third vote. So we have a category called purpose-built student housing. Okay. And so what that means is, we do not allow normally even in the downtown area. Do not allow apartments to have more than three bedrooms per apartment. Well, a lot of student housing that wants to do rent by the bedroom wants four. They want to have basically where it's four bedrooms that share a bath, a share, or no, don't share bathrooms, but share a kitchen, living room area. Right. Uh, a common know, area. Common area, yeah. That's what they call that. Basically, yeah, something okay. like that. So many of these apartments, many of these things that are being built, they want to be in, you know, the colloquial term is student housing, but it is a common area and it's for, you know, it's rent by the bedroom, right? It's, right. you know, rather than you don't get and and there's a whole different, uh, different things that come with that in the leases. So they wanted to do this by uh, under that auspice or what, where was the, this it, one? So this, so. So rent by the bedroom as a business model isn't something that's pro- prohibited in general. They could have done that anyway. What they wanted was a couple things that are what are exemptions. 
generally to be able to say this is student housing. It's purposely built to be student housing for students and to have that, you know, four or potentially even five bedrooms sharing a common area. Um, and so they wanted into that, which is not normally allowed by our code, right. but this is the exemption. And so it was a conditional use permit is what we call that. And did that get passed or not? It did after some discussion. Staff's recommendation was neutral basically because we put a downtown area plan last year that was generally said we kind of really don't need any more student housing downtown. We need more housing in general. Right. And so we put – so they did okay, but yeah. long and short, because I'm I've, I got to take a break here. Yeah. So then they ended up, you ended up passing this, you know, yeah. you know, somehow or another on the vote that uh, they are going to be allowed to do this as a student housing, right? Yes. Okay. We're just going to leave it at that. And so, what was that? Was that the last item that you no. voted on? What was the last item? You the last voted on? item was. They, with the zoning change that we approved, they could build five stories. Okay. They wanted to build seven-story buildings. Right. And the commission, after some pretty quick discussion, it was getting late at that point, uh, recommended uh, no, five-story five maximum. So we've got... And I should be clear, these are recommendations. Right. City council makes a policy. They're the deciders on the policy right. side of things. So. so those are the recommendations that are going to go forward. They will then go on ahead and get this onto the city council agenda, and it'll come back up for a vote on, on city council agenda then. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to leave it at that for right now because I want to come back and talk about a few other things because we're coming down on the time. This is KZSM LPFM 104.1. You're listening to We the People here on uh, a Friday night from 7 to 9 o'clock. Uh, the views expressed on this show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA. And... Um, I, I've got to confirm what we're doing for Carol tonight, but stay tuned right after this show. We are going to be having uh, Friday Night with Care. I've got Griffin Spell as my guest tonight, and as always, we get deep into the weeds. I'm trying oh, to kind yes. of keep us moving along because we only have about another 10 minutes to go here. And so um, I guess this is where this goes with this, is that you are not deciding anything. This is just recommendations. Right. We, we, we advise count. a lot of the boards and commissions, whether it's planning and zoning, neighborhood, uh, historic preservation, parks, senior citizens advisory board. Most of them exist to advise council to have you know people who are focused on that one topic. So the city council who have you know limited time in their day and have to be kind of generalists, can have some expert advice from people who, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm a procedure wonk, I'm a policy wonk, I know that, and the commissioners yeah. tend to focus more on the weeds in a way that council really cannot afford to do so. Sure. Um, and so that's kind of why, you know, and we make recommendations, now our recommendations have some, have some bite to them. Council, gener- can't, the council is supposed to approve the recommendations unless it's like a two-thirds vote. Right. Um, yeah, so they can overturn us, mm-hmm. but in the but in the absence of a clear consensus from council, they generally don't. Yeah. And so, you know, planning and zoning gets a lot of you know. Th- there was this perception that oh, you're either for uh, development or you're against development, and that's I, as the way that this is painted out there so it, much of the time which is, is, which is always real over, estate or, or against, simplified. Yeah. 
And yeah, yeah it was interesting that uh, you know some of the other things that you guys voted on that that sailed through was a new uh, wine bar downtown. Right, yeah. right. We had a uh, you know application for a conditional use permit to sell wine, and so their business model, as I understand it, was not a bar in the sort of traditional sense. But in a wine tasting and, oh, I like this wine, I want to buy a bottle, that sort of business model. So it's going to be interesting to see. I saw a lot of uh, things. Uh, I saw some advertisement already starting up on Facebook about that. Right. And, and you've got, and, and, you know, another one we had, for example, was a hotel that's going to be built over by Fairmont. Um, and so, you know, they had a proposal because they wanted to, they wanted to lay it out in a certain way. And we had to discuss that and we voted and said, yeah, okay, well, it's, that's, a, that's a reasonable way to do it. And so things like yeah. that can be really technical and really kind of nuanced, but, you know, major policy decisions can kind of start building mm-hmm. up from PNZ. So it's just what's ended up downtown is a lot of uh, a lot of concern over what the university is doing, what the university is buying, right. what's going so, on. So I should explain, yeah. back in December, the university bought two yes. student That's apartment where I was complexes. Headed. Yes. Um, we're talking 120 plus million dollars, substantial investment, to buy two complexes and basically turn them into dorms, more or less, for students. Uh, the problem is the university is a state government entity. They are a state university. They do not pay taxes. So when they, when those properties were bought by the university, they come off the tax rolls, which means we either have to raise taxes for everybody else to compensate – or cut services for San Marcos. And so we're looking now at departments having to cut, you know, money from their budget, you know, go every year from now on going forward, or again, raise taxes on everybody else. And the problem is, is as near as I can tell, and I don't know, I'm not privy to everything, they didn't ask us or tell us or, you know, this, this, this was very much a dictate from the university. We are buying these lands and we are not asking your permission. Yeah, and this was and this was also laid out in and, and the discussions with this property. Yeah, and it, that's it, how that it came. Yeah. It, you know, one of the things that the the uh, Dr. Garber brought up was the university should have people at these meetings, send a representative from the university to talk about how they see. Because one of the things that came up was university buying this land, university is building a dorm uh, complex on campus. You know, is the university going to buy this land? And so that's always kind of the and, ta- kind of, and then take it off the tax rolls. Yeah, that's always kind of been the boogeyman. Is that well, you know, if the city doesn't negotiate with a developer, give them what they want, then the university they could just sell yeah. it to the university. The university as a state entity doesn't have to follow our zoning code. And there isn't a lot we can do other than yeah. go through um, the legislature. The legislature, and even then, I think you and I had this discussion. It's that well, you know, they're going to be pushing back yeah. from all of the universities all the, because the, all know, of them are doing UT the same and A and M are not going to want rules that apply to Texas State that apply to them in their cities. Yeah, and the same things go. And so it's very much a sort of an uphill battle to get anything changed. And so, well, one of the other things that we talked about that I wanted to mention to everyone is that you know, in roughly. Okay, the amount of tax revenue dollars that were taken off the table by the uh, these two properties that the university is buying and repurposing for mm-hmm. their in their what they want to do is probably going to be evened out by what we're getting by Bucky's. Well, you know, somewhere in there. You say that I'll point out something that's relevant. These properties are in San Marcos CISD. 
Bucky's in Hay CISD. Uh-huh. So San Marco CISD, which also lost the tax revenue, isn't going to get it to recoup by Bucky's. Uh-huh. I don't know the exact figures. I don't know if Bucky's is going to be collecting that much. Although, remember, they're going right. to be having sales taxes. I don't know how many sales taxes uh, yeah, apartments mean, were, were providing. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know the figures of what it okay. comes out. We'll go out and get that. But I'm just saying, if you really want to, you know, this is the thing is that we go and we get these wins. But these things are off in the background yeah. that we keep saying, oh, the university is growing. And I, I still challenge that, that the, the city is growing, but not as fast as the university is. And we cannot keep... You know, it's it's not sustainable. Yeah. Hey, I did want I did, to mention yeah. I, I had someone uh, uh, make sure that uh, I was corrected here that it is a two thirds majority. Um, if you, if the planning, let me go back on this on zoning and preferred scenario map decisions at PNZ, a two thirds super majority at council will be needed to reverse a PNZ decision. That's correct. Okay. I'm sorry if I wasn't clear on that. But that yeah. was, I just I had someone send that in to me. Thank you for us. Appreciate right. that. Uh, that. That's correct. And uh, so I just wanted to make mention of that real quick. Hey, we're coming down the last few minutes, and, and I do want to. Yeah. You want to uh, bring up one thing that came at the end of their meeting? Okay. Uh, so every so, city council appoints uh, commission members, and so when its last appointment process, it reappointed uh, Jim Garber. Uh, Bill Agnew and Lupe Costilla to the commission. The commission, however, elect its own officers for one-year terms. So every year we have an officer election. Uh, and so this election, we had it at the end of our meeting, after in a very long meeting, so we're talking after 11 o'clock at this point. Uh, David Case is our new Planning and Zoning Commission chair, and I will be serving the next year as vice chair of Planning and Zoning. So, well, congratulations. Thank you. Now, again... Let's be clear about this. This was a planned vote, correct? This is the regular scheduled, you know, we have elections every year. Uh, so we actually canceled our May, or sorry, our uh, our March uh, regular meeting, our meeting at the beginning of March. And so this was our, you know, regular scheduled, you know, every election we have, every year we have elections for officers, and it's been a year. And so this is our regular vote to do so. And so you've got your officers, you've got your vote, and but it was not a coup. I mean, I, I, no. I, I just, you know, this was a. Uh, it was a contested Dr. election. Dr. Garber, Dr. Garber has been doing this for how many years now? As your three chair? years, and then before that, three more years, so six in total. Okay, but there was some time that he was off. Yeah. But in general, I think there's still a perception about some of the commissioners being pro-development and pro-realty versus not. I, and, I think that's oversimplified, if anything. It's a lot. It, I, I, and, I, and I know I'm, from my perspective, I'm, I'm on PNZ. I'm going to have you know, my own sort of vision of things. Yeah. It's not just a pro-development, anti-development a lot of our a lot of our votes in PNZ are nine zero, including some of the ones we had. You know, some of the some of the votes we had um, on this on the uh, Lindsay North project were seven seven two, eight to one, five to four, uh, nine to zero. Like it, right. it, like you know, we, you know, the 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 wine bar proposal that was up before was I was I'm pretty sure that one was nine to zero. So a lot of our a lot of our discussion, a lot of our votes are not the sort of, you know, red team, blue team, Republican, Democrat. You know, it's not like that, you know. 
when we have a we have a pretty I feel like we've we're in a right we're in a good place right now. We have a new chair, a new vice chair, and you know it's sort of a, a you know a chance for some fresh leadership. But we also remember we still have you know the same commissioners we had last year. You know, Dr. Garber is still going to be on planning and zoning. He mm-hmm. just got reappointed to another three-year term. Uh, same thing. So the, his Lupe vote's still going to be there. Yeah. and it's not. And no, that the, really the, isn't changing the, anything. The, the vote, the actual voting members of PNZ have not changed um, in months, and they they probably won't change for another year. You know. All right. Well, and it's time for us to uh, skedaddle here. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight to We the People. Griffin, thank you for coming in. Friday Night with Kara is coming up next. 